I was really looking for representation. <laughs> Whereas uh, Chebujan and Mafe and Sukukanja and Yasa and all those wonderful flavors that I grew up eating, you know, it's New York City. But hey, Africa is part of this world. Ponyo is this grain that is so great for the environment. It grows in poor soil, like I said, which regenerates the soil and it's a nutrition powerhouse. This is One on One, a table for two production. I am Antoine Aboussamra. It's an uphill battle for sure because you deal with lots of prejudice, especially if you know the relationship between Africa and America. And there's injustice, particularly for me in Africa, when it comes to the people who are growing that food. They're not even part of the system. In every episode, I invite you to discover the stories of people in the world of food who are on a mission to protect the environment, defend their cultures, or fight for more social and economic justice. One-on-one will help you redefine your relationship to food. Look at the dish in a different way as a, a story. The recipe has been passed upon the generation. And then you look at the ingredients. The, how did this grain get here? And this grain is being cultivated by these farmers in Kedungu who have been growing it, learned that method from their grandparents. Credit should be the small farmers who should be the ultimate beneficiaries. The women in particular, because they're the ones who, who made sure Ponyo stayed. Good afternoon. It's a fantastic pleasure to be back uh, for a new episode of the One on One podcast. And today I have the privilege, honor, and pleasure to welcome Chef Pierre Thiam. He's a Senegalese chef based in the US, and he has embarked on a mission to promote one of the oldest grain that has been harvested in West Africa, in the Sahel, uh, for 5,000 years, if I'm not mistaken. And his mission is to is to bring it to, uh, to, to the people of the U.S. so that they discover that, uh, that, that grain. And we'll talk about that in, in a second. And just to give a, a slight background, and then I don't say a word. When I had an interview with Dr. Cynthia Rosenzweig, uh, so she's a senior scientist and senior researcher at the NASA Goddard Institute, uh, and she does a lot of research on climate change and the impact on food. She said so many wonderful things about your work. And she said, you have to talk to him uh, because what he's doing wow. is so, so important uh, for many reasons, and we, we'll touch upon them. So my first question is, why embark on that mission to promote that seed that is called the seed of the universe, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, that's uh, the name for Ponyo, for the Dogon people in Mali. And the Dogon, as you know, is an ancient culture. And they had this name for Ponyo. For them, Ponyo was, uh, and that's actually the same name they have for the star called Sirius. Sirius mm -hmm. is like the, the brightest, smallest star in the universe. And that's, you know, the Gong people, it's a fascinating culture. They uh, they had this map of the star before even science had like uh, telescopes and, and that kind of uh, equipment to be able to to delimit, to, to to connect the, the stars and and the Dogon had that you know and they 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 live in the in in the hills in Bandiagara somewhere in Mali it's just a beautiful culture it's just amazing to see how our ancestors uh, had this connection with with the universe but they had a name for Fonio and to them in their mythology Fonio the the the, the universe sprouted from a seed of Fonio and that's just amazing it, really was fascinating to me um, to see that that uh, the the cultural relevance of a grain in, in in the different places of Africa where ponyo is being grown first being the oldest cultivated grain in Africa as you mentioned 5000 years and the fact that it's also a grain that's quite resilient you know mm -hmm. at time right on earth in addition to the fact that it grows in poor soil Ponyo is a grain that can grow in, I'm from Senegal, the Sahel mm -hmm. region, which is just south of the Sahara. And Ponyo can grow there, it can thrive there, actually. It's just, um, it requires very little water, and it's one of the fastest maturing grain. The tiny little grain, really full of protein, it's very nutritious. Mm -hmm. and, and, and to me, as a chef, you know, what really fascinated me was how, how easy it was to cook with and how delicate it was mm -hmm. and, and, and its versatility. So for all those reasons, I thought this grain should be a world-class crop. Why is it that 
I'm born and raised in Dakar, and I would, didn't even have access to Fonio. I had to go in the south, Casamance, where my family mm-hmm. is from originally to see my grandparents. And that's the only time I would eat Fonio as a kid. And, and it turns out all the big cities in Africa as well, you know, wouldn't see Fonio. There was no value chain bringing Fonio to those cities. And we have crops that are coming from all over, you know, the West. And that's just sad, really, that we don't have access to our own crops, the, for the, 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 our own heritage, the things yeah. that came from our ancestors and it's just limited to the rural area. Not only we didn't create a value chain to, to access to the market, but in addition to that, we even have this mindset to look down at them. Sometimes we, 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 we tend to see these crops as, as country people crops. And, and, and you live in Dakar, you go to a supermarket in Dakar, you would see you know, grains or other crops that come from all over the world. But uh, unfortunately, it was difficult to find for you. So as a chef based in New York, I thought this was a problem. And I thought, you know, such a grain, so promising grain could be not only in supermarkets in Dakar, in Africa, mm-hmm. But around the world, in the U.S. as well. So, so it it kind of became my mission early on to be a voice for that 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 food culture of West Africa. I arrived in the U.S. in the late eighties, and uh, as a young cook, I came actually as a, as a student and and found myself in the kitchen, and as a student in physics and chemistry, and found a better type of chemistry in the kitchen, which is really what <laughs> landed how I ended up. You know, that was the type of chemistry that, you know, all the reactions were, were there, but it was much, much, much more delicious than what I had in the labs at, at, at the university lab. So anyway, so to make a long story short, New York was the food capital of the world. It was quite exciting to be a young cook there. Uh, uh, but there was something missing in that world, the, the food world of New York. Africa was absent, and particularly mm-hmm. West Africa, the food that I grew up eating. And I enjoyed all the food cultures, don't get me wrong, but I was missing the, the, those flavors, and I, and I thought that that needed to be uh, present in, in, in this city, in this amazing city that New York is. Uh, so that's really how it became my mission early on. And mm-hmm. gradually from like looking for inspiration in that type of cuisine, that tradition, eventually... I started, you know, catering, then from catering, opening my first restaurant, then from my first restaurant, started to write cookbooks. And I'm writing cookbooks. That's really when I saw this opportunity of bringing ingredients because as I'm writing cookbooks, I'm always thinking of substitutions for ingredients because mm-hmm. my readers don't have access to them. And and as I'm thinking for substitutions, I'm also thinking, why is it that, you know, these ingredients, Ingredients are not in the in the market. Maybe I could figure out a way to 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 open a, a, a way for for the, for those uh, distribution channels. And and in thinking that that's the idea for Yolele, my company. Mm-hmm. And and I wanted Yolele to be more than just a, a, a product company like your typical CPG. I wanted it to be a company that would also have an impact. It would be a way for me to to give back since my career was all uh, thanks to, to, to this tradition, thanks to this cuisine, thanks to something that's been passed upon by you know, generation after generation, I, I thought it was important that I find a way to give back. And the give back would be first to the farmers, the small farmers, that's where it begins. The food mm-hmm. starts with at the soil, the small farmers. So if I figure out a way to to bring economic opportunity to those small farming communities in Africa by opening markets for their products and select the products so that they're products that are underutilized. So if you choose some products that are underutilized, you're also saving biodiversity. So you're also having an impact on the environment. So that really was in this thinking process that I end up with Fonio. Again, Fonio is this grain that is so great, you know, for the environment. It grows in poor soil, like I said, it regenerates the soil because it has deep roots that mm-hmm. add nutrient to the soil. And it's a nutrition powerhouse. And I can talk on and on about for you. Yes. So that really was like the easy, you know, ingredient on my first platform for for Yolele, the, the yeah. one that was checking all the boxes. When you started, mm-hmm. 
how was the response in the US and how was the response in Senegal? Because you were doing something that was different. First of all, in the US, you were bringing something that was not really known. And mm -hmm. then locally, you were you were starting to tell the people that, oh, by the way, we can make your life better thanks to Fonio. So yeah. how was the reception in both places? Well, everyone thought I was crazy. I mean, it's just like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I'm, this, I, I'm this naive guy who always have these, uh, you know, things. Everything is possible, right? And 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 I thought, because I was in New York City and I saw how how quinoa came to be, right? Mm -hmm. Quinoa is this grain from the Andes, like mm -hmm. in the Chile and Peru, that all of a sudden became a rave everywhere. You would hear quinoa, quinoa, and and that was because it was gluten free, because it was a super grain, super food, you know, you know, nutritious and all of that. And 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 to me, quinoa uh, could be that African quinoa. It was all, you know, it had all those properties. And, in, and more even because it was also very uh, resilient. It grows mm -hmm. in poor soil. It restores the soil. And the region where Tonya is grown in Senegal in particular, Kedugu, is like the, the poorest region. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like the most remote part. And and those people could benefit from, you know, a boom for, 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 for a grain that they've been growing. They only grow it for their subsistence. But if there's a market, they know how to grow it. They have land and that land can be benefiting from agriculture of Fonio because it would be restoring the topsoil would be restored thanks to the demand of Fonio. So all of that and jobs too, because they, there's no jobs. You know, those are the regions. If you look at Kedugu, that's one of the regions that has the biggest migration. You know, the migration that you hear about people leaving Senegal in dugout boats trying to make it to Europe. That's from that region. Southeast. Southeast, exactly, yeah. southeast of Senegal, in the border between Guinea and Mali. And Mali. So that's um, that's an area that's really no opportunities. So kids from that region, they live for jobs. Sometimes they make it, sometimes they drown in the ocean, sometimes they end up being part of some jihad movement because mm -hmm. it's just because they are looking for some kind of uh, a, a, a way to make a living. And if they could do it with something that grows in their land that they can do and, and, and prosper in a dignified way, no one would leave, you know, your loved ones and the place that you, you, you grew up. So that's, that's really what my thinking was. And, uh, and, and everyone thought, you know, of course, this guy is crazy. I mean, it's like, you should stick to the kitchen, you know, <laughs> and, 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 um, and yeah, if I, maybe if I knew what it would take, I probably would have stuck to the kitchen because it wasn't as easy as, as it, 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 it sounds. You know, it really was, um, you know, the challenge you had to create a value chain. You had to, to organize uh, from the farm and create the whole logistic, come up with the logistics to, to ship, shipping containers of, of ponyo mm -hmm. to like, the, to the US and then at the US there's like warehousing and then there's like packaging and then there's like a whole other distribution. The problem was more a business problem or was more a mentality problem for people to accept oh, the idea? Yeah, both. It starts yeah, oh. it starts with a mentality, right? Really, I mean you you have to accept the idea before it becomes a reality. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you know, it's like you don't believe in it and, and you never make the the, 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 the take the steps to, to make it happen. So so that 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 idea was difficult to to for people to even grasp, you know. I mean it's been yeah, five thousand years, nothing happened. Why would it happen now? You know, so it's like, <laughs> like that's the thing. And 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 plus that mindset, you know, that mindset that I like to call the colonial mindset that mm -hmm. everything that comes from the West is best, you know. And we tend to like look at stuff. You know, you go to Dakar streets and you have like baguette breads and we have uh, 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 croissants, you know, we have all those things that are made with wheat and mm -hmm. we don't grow wheat, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 and that's just because we, we, we embrace them and they're delicious, you know, I'm not, don't get me wrong, but that's just bad that we haven't done similar products with our own grains and, 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 and we just, ignore those grains and they they disappear you know the, the danger is those things that they disappear when mm -hmm. you don't open markets for them and and for you they kept it going those farmers because you know it's it's just something that they they value culturally and it's also you know it's it's, it's, it's nutritious it's delicious and it's it's because it grows really fast so it's important for them to because for you the thing about it is regardless of the rainy season good or bad for you, it's going to come. And, and that, that, no, they can rely on that. It's survival. 
<laughs> it's survival, exactly. So that's why they kept it going at that level. But now um, someone who comes and tells them you can even make it, make more of it and, and, and start making an income from this, they think you're crazy because it didn't happen before. And then you're like, um, okay, they don't believe it because they know the people in the city will probably want to adopt it. And you tell them, no, you want to take it to the U.S. You know, the U.S. is, and they like think you're even crazier. And the U.S. people too saying, oh, oh African crops, you know, it's crazy. Why would Africa feed us? You know, we're the one who would feed Africans. You know, it's like, and that's it's a whole the whole mindset. You know, and and um, there's there's a lot you deal with, and I'm not sure what's the term is, but there's you no, know, it's a it was a. It's an uphill battle for sure because you deal with lots of prejudice, especially if you know the relationship between Africa and, mm-hmm. and, and America for, <laughs> for exactly. So, so you, you know, so it's like it, it, it wasn't uh, something evident to people, right? People because they they were um, limited by the, this the the, the 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 status quo. They thought you know this is how it is, you know, African. They won't won't be importing food to the U.S., you know, and and an an African brand is not going to 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 be successful in the U.S., you know, food with African grains that no one heard about, you know, cock. And for me, it's like, you know, it's it's a delicious grain. It's nutritious. It, you know, it has everything that, that the consumer wants. And I, so, as a chef, I was from a vantage point. As a chef based in New York, I also kind of knew what the consumer wants, what mm-hmm. my customers want, and I also know the network of chefs that I think would be interested in this. So I, you know, I had those reasons to make me think that this is something that could happen. In addition, I mentioned quinoa was had made it, so why not ponyo? Mm-hmm. And it was a, <laughs> it was not uh, a, an easy thing to convince people, but yeah. I convinced the right people to come and, and support and come and join me on this on this journey. And and those people uh, together, we we made a difference. What is fascinating at the beginning, we were mentioning about the uh, the Dogon culture, mm-hmm. and there's a very rich cultural background in Africa. That people are not really aware of because you know we, we haven't spoken about it. Uh, we see Africa as this place where people are you know poor and they're, they're hungry and you know they're all the stereotypes. So when you start talking about culture coming from Africa, whether it's food culture, cultivation, agriculture, or or you know civilizations as as, as they are. What is the response of the people in the U.S. when you talk about that? Because there's the whole story around Fonio, which you don't come and just say, oh, this is a grain that is great. You know, I'm sure you, you, you explain all the things around it. What is the first reaction when people learn about the richness of the civilization and the culture of West Africa, of Senegal? Sometimes I even think it comes as a shock to some people because for so long, all their lives, they have been told those things mm-hmm. that you just mentioned, those stereotypes and they... And the media is so powerful, and it's just like all those images of Africa were not always flattery, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what sells, you know. That's what they wanted to actually. I don't know if that's what sells, but that's really how they wanted to portray Africa for for many reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, it worked for them. You know, it worked for them that Africa was seen as this backward place and that you know uncivilized because that was the reason why. All those things happen to Africa, starting with colonization and all of that. You can go on and on. So now that you're telling them a different story, and it's all in the storytelling, you know, and that's why really what I what I knew, you know, the was I had to do, you know, I had to 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 tell the story, you know, and and tell the story would make the difference. If you come with a product as like just a commodity. You know, it's like, and that's not what I what I'm about. You know, I'm 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 a chef. I'm like I'm taking inspiration from recipes that's been passed upon me generations after generations mm-hmm. after generation after generation. I'm not gonna come and treat it as a commodity. It's not what it is. It's like culture. It's like food. Agriculture is culture. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that only recently that we fifty hundred years ago that we took it away from culture and turned it into like this uh, whatever they call it business but it's really what you know the people want to hear and when you come and talk to them this way and tell them hey you know there's a story behind this this grain is like you know look at this dish and and look at the dish in a different way you know look at the dish as a, a story 
because every single dish is a story when you look at it. You know, I mean, look, the, the, not, you start with the recipe, the recipe has been passed upon, okay, generation. And then you look at the ingredients. The, how did this grain get here? And this grain is being cultivated, you know, and it's been cultivated by these farmers in Kedugu who have been growing it from, learn that method from their grandparents. Who to, and eventually, you know, like you get back to like the, ancestor that domesticated this grain and and i mean it's just amazing and and, and even the whole processing of when you and you're telling them that you know and as a matter of fact i got so into it that i, I wrote a cookbook dedicated to fonio the fonio cookbook and that tells you the whole journey of fonio and that's just one ingredient but this is the same thing that can happen with all those different ingredients and africa has so many of them that's been ignored and now you come and telling them a story about this grain and not only the story is captivating but and it's ancient but you're also telling them that this grain has is promising to give you so much you know it's gonna you're gonna enjoy it first of all and then you're going to be feeling great about it and for you it's so light you do you know you digest it really easily and 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 and, and you feel great about it and if you you know if you if you are if you're diabetic it's like it's, it's that's the grain for you it has a low glycemic index you know it's no gluten you know for those of you who are gluten intolerant there's so much there's like you know and and now it's like hey you know people are listening and people are like you know i'll, I'll try it and then he cooks in five minutes. So like yeah, which is, now which like, is and New Yorkers are like, hey, you know, we have no time for. So this is all, all of those reasons. As a chef going out of the kitchen, which we see more and more chefs doing basically, that are, you know, taking humanitarian work, uh, trying to, to, to find solutions, et cetera, et cetera. How do you see the, that evolution of the role of the chef in, in your work? Because you are... An ambassador, basically, for for Fonio and for for what is happening in Senegal uh, from uh, in that region, from Kidugu. Um, how do you see your role as a chef, as an activist, as a spokesperson? As how how would you define that? With all of those, you know, chef, yeah, definitely uh, cooking. It starts. That's where it starts. And for me, it really happened in a an organic way, so to say. Really, like I mentioned, you know, I I, I noticed that. My my food wasn't represented, so I was really looking for representation. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, hey, where's 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 the chebujen and mafe and supukanja and mm-hmm. yasa and all those wonderful flavors that I grew up eating? You know, it's New York City. Yes, I enjoy everything else, Italian, French, and or like Japanese. Mm-hmm. But hey, you know, Africa is part of this world, and it's yeah. as delicious. Actually, it's very delicious, and it's very nutritious, and it's also. You know, so I knew, you know, I wanted to be a voice for that. And I knew because it was something I enjoyed eating. And I was like, you know, it's like that's part of um, what it is, right? And and eventually in that quest to bring these flavors and this food from my origins, I landed here in this place where I started to to to, to be a, a voice for actually the, the small farmers in Africa who are growing those ingredients because to me, they needed a voice, you know, and and I was, as I'm writing my cookbooks in particular, I was like, this is a platform that I have. I'm not going to use the platform the same way as a chef from, you know, a different um, reality would, would use it because he doesn't have the same challenges that my people have, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, um, with all due respect, you know, Pierre Gagnier, Who's an excellent chef would write his cookbooks with you know with his 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 uh, his own producers his own products his yes own, exactly yes. you know exactly cabbage and carrots and yes, <laughs> what have you yes you know? and uh, yeah yeah and, the and, and bourre, delicious and, uh, way <laughs> yeah and he would do it great you know he would do it great he's a great guy and and but for me I'm like here now I'm I'm I'm, I'm getting some recognition I'm getting uh, the opportunity to have books published. And I'm going to talk about my food. I want the readers who don't often, who most more than likely never had opportunity to read a book on this cuisine that I'm mm-hmm. talking about. And I want them to, to learn where is this food coming from, not just the recipes and the beautiful pictures uh, like most cookbooks. Yes, part of mm-hmm. that too. But going deeper, where's the food coming from? And then the food is 
produced by people. Who are these people? Who is these farmers? Who was the fisherman? Who's and then as you do that, you know, and I'm doing that in a way. I, I want to go and talk to the farmers and the fishermen, and I saw I travel around and I spend time with these fishermen who've been doing it generation after generation, and they're telling me, hey, you know, you know, if there's a problem, you know, we cannot fish anymore. You know, this there's no fish in the water, and why there's no fish in the water because overfishing. This overfishing, you know, overfishing, and there's these huge boats that you can see over there, they mm -hmm. come, they deplete our ocean, and they use this type of fishing nets that are even illegal. Yeah, and they do. They just and, and it, take everything, the soil and everything with it. Yeah, Exactly. Like the soil, they take the coral reef. I mean, it's just a, a crime. And these guys are just out of sorts. So what they do, those fishermen, they become smugglers for immigrants. That's those boats that goes from Dakar to Barcelona. Those boats, they are fishermen, former fishermen. They know the waters, and they, yes. they, they now they're getting those that make it. They're getting even more money because if each of each one of those migrants, they're willing to pay one million francs CFR to try to go to Europe because there's nothing in Kedugu. Now we go from fishermen to Kedugu. Now what's going on in Kedugu? Those fish, those 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 those, those immigrants, they. They, come, they are in a country, an area that's like dry, arid. All they eat is fonio. There is no income. There is nothing. They're, these guys are 20, 18, 15, but they know that tomorrow, the next day is going to be the same thing for them. Nothing is going to happen. No jobs, nothing. They go to the fisherman and say, hey, you know, my family, actually, their parents figure mm -hmm. out the way to support them and take the money and say, go go risk your life. And, you know, I mean, if you stay, you're dying anyway. So, minus. so that's the story that comes out, you know, as I'm telling the story of the food. You know, this is really crazy. You know, you're trying to tell a story of where the food is coming from. You're trying to tell the story of a Chebujan, our national dish. Mm -hmm. So that's that comes with the fish, that's beginning with the fish. And then talk about the fishermen and that's like it gets it gets crazy, it gets depressing. It's like no, it's not about the fishermen that Pierre Gagnard would talk about because his fishermen is like fishing. I mean there's still overfishing problems yes. around the world, but yes. but the way it's happening um, in, in Africa is is really um, done in a way that's not 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 fair at all. The artisanal fishermen don't have access to their fish anymore. The locals don't have access to the right fish that they used to have for their the, the chebujan mm -hmm. or for the chop, you know, the fish that we want. And and that story uh, that's led me to 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 writing a cookbook like this and to answer your question about chefs finding themselves out of the kitchen and, and becoming more vocal or activist. It's because we continue to follow the path of the food, and that's the that's taking us here. And we're realizing that there are there's injustice in, in, when it comes to food, and there's injustice, particularly for me in Africa, when it comes to uh, the way not only the 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 way um, the, the, the 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 people who are growing that food, uh, uh, you know, they they they're not even part of the system. You know, the food system has created something that's just going from 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 big farms to to the supermarkets so, to the small small farmers smallholder farmers the ones who we are supposed to be talking to and supporting me as a chef I know mm -hmm. this is the way I really want my food to be coming from this is the right food this is the food that's grown the right way respecting the seasons without any chemical entrance this is the kind of food that I want to deal with so I I'm, I'm supporting this guy. And 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 this guy is not part of the food system. So mm -hmm. to me, it was like I have to figure out a way to open markets for their products, and that's I, how I found myself doing it. Have you seen change? I've seen change because um, there is a there's a market for Fonio now. You no, know? mm -hmm. so that's 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 is it uh, the kind of change uh, that's going to make a difference? I hope so, you know, but it has to go, you know, at so many other levels. So Fonio is like one example. There's mm -hmm. so many other crops that need to be following that path. So so what we did is we created a model of development. You know, we created, we we shown that there was a, a demand for, for these crops. We could do it. What we had to do 
is tell the story. We had to brand it. This was the, the thing was about branding. You know, mm -hmm. we the, the farmers always knew how to grow those crops. They've been doing it for thousands of years. They didn't have access to market. And to access the market, you have to brand it. And by branding it, you have to tell the story. So for me, what I needed to do, though, my challenge was like everything. Everyone thinks I'm crazy. So what I'm going to make sure I do is I'm going to go to the best at branding and get them on board. So I went to Pentagram. Pentagram is like the considered the number one boutique branding company, right? And and they, I, I had this entrance because luckily they are the one who designed my very first cookbook okay. through my publisher. So that was like, I, I knew the partners at Pentagram. So this is how it started. So we we went there and tell and what did the they story. say? <laughs> it was like, and they're like you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean we have a lot of allies, you know, people who also want to see this happen. You know, they and it's a beautiful story too. It's like it really, it really is a story any designer wants to tell to be a part of it. You know, so they wanted to be a part of it, and they came up with this beautiful branding for for you. Know, we really wanted the we wanted to be proudly African. We wanted mm -hmm. to tell the story. We wanted to show. You know, the consumer, when they take the package, we wanted to make sure the package is also attractive enough so that it can compete with any other packaging on the shelves at Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's what they came up with. And the packaging was, I mean, beautifully done so that, you know, and we had Paula Scher. Paula Scher is like a rock star when it comes to branding. She's a rock star artist. I mean, who, who, who done, I mean, you name it, you know, Shake Shack and all of that. That's mm -hmm. her. Like, and then for her to take Yolele, you know, a known, mm -hmm. known, a, a known African brand just starting to end for her to take it and make it like such. So if you see that map of Africa with like the delineated, that's all I share. That's like a, a signature, you know. And uh, anyway, to make a long story short, uh, the branding was so well done that even the Wall Street Journal did an article just for the branding. And then and a nice. cover page just for the no, it wasn't even about but like how hey you know like Paula Scher did this thing I mean it was it was amazing so yeah. it, and the first page it did the front page right so that's like just to tell you so uh, so that was the thing you know branding and and again you're asking me if I'm seeing hope yes and 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 but that needs to be done with those other crops too there needs to be done the same story with Fonio needs to be done with. A bambara groundness needs to be done with sorghum, the other types of millets, and all those underutilized crops. That's like the path to take, you know, figuring out the marketing part, the branding part, add value, you know, tell the story, and then you give it a chance of success. And, and that's that's really how we can we can really compete with with big food and 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 the, the limited diet that they're imposing upon us. And that's how we also can give ourselves a chance to 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 deal with climate change issues. Yeah, but this is already a, a huge success story. You're distributed Whole Foods in a lot of different places, more than two thousand uh, retail outlets, if I'm not mistaken, where we can find. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Going, going big. Yeah, well, yeah, relatively big. Yes, it is still the US, and now we're mm -hmm. looking global. Yeah. Now we 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 want to we want to have a distribution in in Africa. And we want to have a distribution in Europe and other parts of the world. So that's the next step for us was to renew. The first thing was to create the demand to tell people, mm -hmm. "Hey, we're not crazy. It's 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 for the world." And now we've done that. Now that the demand is created, it's urgent now that we 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 come back to the source and make sure the supply can support the demand yes. because that's 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 very important. Otherwise, you get a disruption and and you 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 you're gone. So, so, so that was the thing. So we had to not only grow the network of farmers, expand the network of farmers, but the solution we had to innovate, and that was in the processing. So we had to make sure that we can have a processing equipment that meets the standard, and that can also mm -hmm. give you at the quantity and the quality of the mm -hmm. global market. So, so that was the thing. Because very it's very important. intensive, hand intensive to remove the husk. From what I understand, That's it's right. the women that yeah. were doing this by hand. So That's now right. you have machines That's for right. that, if I'm not mistaken. So you have machines, but they're still manual. Lots of manuals still, you know. And and that was where you know it wasn't sustainable. You no, know, there's lots of manual. There's like you have to wash the fonio 
You know, so fonio requires very little water to grow, but then you have to wash it because it's lots of sand and stuff. Mm-hmm. So this was where we had to come now and innovate. And so so we reached out to uh, a company called Bueller. And Bueller, they like uh, they considered the Rolls Royce of milling equipment. Mm-hmm. And and so we, we went to Bueller and we said, hey, you know, this is where we are now. And the demand, our projections, the demand is going to grow. And if it grows to this level, we cannot keep doing fonio mm-hmm. at at one ton per day, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 we need to have a fonio that we cannot also have fonio processed with like close to fifty percent of waste. This is what's happening right now. Fonio is close to fifty percent of waste with Oof. you know it's crazy post post mm-hmm. post harvest. So that's that's crazy. So we 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 needed to fix that, and we went to the best again. Like remember, we went to to. To pentagram photo grinding, mm. that they're the best. We went to Bueller. Bueller, they they based in, in in Switzerland, and they and they make the best milling equipment in the world. And again, tell the story. The story mm-hmm. takes you there, and and they, the story caught caught their attention, and they started for the past couple of years. We've been sending fonio parties to Bueller tons to for for them to develop the equipment to 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 process fonio because the thing with fonio is a tiny grain. You know, it's like the smallest grain. Mm-hmm. It's very, very small. It's like smaller than teff. So and 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 there's the skin that needs to be removed before fonio is edible. So 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 that's why there's so much waste and the, the the process is tedious. Even with the equipment that you have right now, there's like all this washing and then all the waste comes out. So with Bueller, we worked on developing a machine that takes you from instead of one ton per day, that's the current state, we go to two tons per hour. Oof. Yeah, <laughs> the big difference, <laughs> and it eliminates the waste to uh, single digits very from 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 fifty percent to single digits. So you, you like just by that process, you're already doubling the production. You know, without even growing more fonio because the waste is 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 yes. is eliminated. So so now we're ready to tackle the global market now. So because we we get we get to this level, we can scale it at least. You know, even if the demand grows. You build another mill, you know, that that's the same thing. You can even go from two tons per hour to four tons per hour. Now, this is the, the conversation we're having. So, and that conversation came from, uh, you know, another blessing out of nowhere, you know, where you're thinking Ponyo is going to go to restaurants and to supermarkets. You get people reaching out to you from the brewing industry. So I have this brother, uh, uh, Garrett Oliver, who's another Rockstar in the master brewer yes. and from Brooklyn Brewery, and, uh, and 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 Garrett reaches out to me and is like, "Hey, you know, I've seen your TED talk on Fonio and stuff, and and you're doing Fonio with a, uh, you know, uh, this amazing site, this great, but you know, beer we make beer with grains, and yes. and I know also in Africa there's like a, a whole tradition of, of 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 grain beer, you know, so maybe we should try that." <laughs> and oh, that's like, going to be a big market. <laughs> that's huge. So, 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 so we we get him some fonio at Brooklyn Brewery, and they test it. And Garrett is like, uh, uh, I mean, he's a master brewer, man. He's he's knighted. I mean, oh, that's nice. how big he is. Right? And he calls back and is like, "You got to taste this beer. This is like world class beer. This is like a great beer. I mean, this fonio beer." I mean, fonio not only is a great ingredient to take to eat, but it's like it makes a great beer. And Brooklyn Brewery got so excited about it, and 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 Whole Foods heard about about it. So we decided to do a limited edition special Yolede fonio beer with Brooklyn partnership with Brooklyn oh, nice. Brewery and, and 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 Whole Foods. And that was a limited edition that was supposed to run for two months. It sold out in no time because it was a great beer, wheat beer, a white beer. And and eventually Brooklyn now is ready to go ahead and, and launch a, a global Brooklyn uh, for new beer, but we're doing even more than that. And uh, we go, we just returned from Senegal uh, not even two weeks ago. We did a documentary to film the impact on how the brewing industry can impact rural Africa by brewing with fonio. And this impact now. This this conversation is going deeper. I mean, in in May, I'm going to Copenhagen to have a talk with Carlsberg on making for new beer from Carlsberg, and Carlsberg is like the fifth largest yeah. brewery in the world. So the the need for a mill a factory that would make 
photons per hour for you can be like duplicated or, or even tripled uh, if we if we add the brewing potential. Yes. You know, so so there's really it's really exciting. And again, this story with Fonio can happen with all with these other ones. crops. You know, it, it, we, and we need to figure out a way to just unlock their potential. And their potential is immense. You know, it's like and that really can you know restore the 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 the, the environment, but bring. Well, it's bring opportunities to for those communities, small farmers, mm. and 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 you keep growing as you go. And it's important to think of other crops as well because you do not want to turn ponyo into monoculture. Because, yes, you know that's the, yeah. the that's the that's what happened. You know, you, you, they get money from ponyo, they'll grow for you, and you have to make sure they keep going with the seasons, and you have to open markets for those other crops that are grown in rotation with ponyo because this is the way to approach it. And that's really where the revolution is different than the capitalist food system that's like having, regardless of the season, the same crops are going to come mm-hmm. year round and, and, and monoculture, you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. really the, the monoculture came from that. Yes, but definitely. If you, if you really trace back here, yeah, you trace back monoculture though, and you see the history, because history tells you a lot, you know. Definitely. So if you trace back monoculture, you go back, go all the way back to the plantations. And that's really where it was. That's where they, that's where they started to do like plantations of sugar canes and yes. like cotton fields and all that. That's like that's really that the beginning of that big big food, you know, and big agri. And then they it just took it to the next level. And today we in travel because of that. Yes, we have to return to the tradition. We have to return to rotation. We have to return to in supporting the farmers. We have to invest in the farmers, teach them better agricultural practices create value chain, create the logistics, and that can be a model of development. You can really create, you know, and, and not only create opportunities, jobs, but you can also restore the environment the same way. Because if you do it, that whole region of the Sahel that's dry and arid can be growing all these crops that were grown in rotation for thousands of years and we ignore them and the more you ignore them the the the, the less people are growing them they're just growing them for their small communities now and the youth are leaving and the region and the desert is advancing and, and and if you figure out a way to to create a demand a global demand for that you know and people are drinking beer out of fonio so that the farmers are growing now more fonio because the demand is there it's a no-brainer and it and it all and it all started with a crazy idea. Talk about it. All starts with a crazy idea. It all starts with a, it was a dream, you know. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah. I, I I can I can see continued success in in all of this. We just it just what what you what is, what is also fascinating is the how connected everything is. The yeah. the the from from you know health and 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 the economics and the business and and the livelihood of the people and what is happening on the other side of the world where people are interested to discover things that are you know more natural and all these mm-hmm. things you, you see people trying to simplify things but they're so complex you no know, nature is complex people are complex that at the end of the day you have to embrace that complexity and go with it instead of just trying to as you were saying you know monocrops and things like that oh you need nitrogen in the soil okay let's put some nitrogen okay it's chemical but you know that's what they need but they forgot that there's fifty <laughs> thousand other compounds that are part of this to make a really yeah. proper fertilizer natural one yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. they missed the point so that that complexity is 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 fa- and that connectedness is fascinating to see and what you what you're working on is absolutely wow yeah um it would be wonderful to have more people like you well i mean i won't take the credit for that i mean it's like really i i, I just happen to be the, the the cook in new york who happened to be from west africa and who were looking for you know inspiration and gradually i got led to this but you know the credit if the credit should be the small farmers who should be mm-hmm. the ultimate beneficiaries mm-hmm. the women in particular because they're the one who who made sure fonio stayed because mm-hmm. they they knew fonio was good for their uh, uh, for their infants for instance that's why they feed, feed the infants so so the one of the reasons why they they kept growing it they're the one who managed to organize cooperatives to like keep the fonio going they're the one who are it starts with them at first mm-hmm. before the machine fonio was being processed with a mortar and pestle and yes. that was 
one kilo of fonio was two hours of pounding melted vessel. Yes. So it's like, you know, it was not something uh, any, 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 any man would do and definitely not me. And I, so I cannot take credit for, for any of this just happened to be at the right place at the right, right. time and, and curious and, 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 and hungry for my food and, and just looking for that. And, and gradually, and mostly also, I, I shouldn't forget the people around me, my partners, you know, Philip Tevro, my co-founder mm-hmm. as well, who is also a veteran in the food industry, who has been working in bringing quinoa in the U.S. like a couple of decades ago. So he had that experience that played a role, you know, all the partners I can think about, you know, Claire Alsop, who's our marketing sales director. She's like amazing, who like tirelessly, we went from one Whole Foods next to my my restaurant in new york to today all the whole foods in america and and you know that's work you know and yes. for distribution you know and and you know and all the other inspirations you know the pilafs that we created because we're not selling only for yes. now we have a line of pilafs all inspired by the tradition of and west chips. african cuisine and we have chips you know yeah. we have all these right. great chips we entered the snack category which is very exciting because now we can reach people who don't cook, you know, people yeah. who still want to sit down and, and eat a chip and, and drink a beer. And, and that's really where it's exciting. Because that's when you reach yes. the, the volumes, the potential. Yeah. Yeah. This, is, this is fascinating. We go on for hours and hours. Unfortunately, we're getting close to the end of the conversation. But before going to the people questionnaire, I have one last question. Okay. Do you believe in fate? Fate, yes. I'm going to explain why I'm asking that question. If uh-huh. I understand correctly... When you came to the U.S. on a student mm-hmm. visa to study chemistry, mm-hmm. and actually there's mm-hmm. a lot of chemists that became chef afterwards, like James Peterson and all other these guys, New York based. That's right. That's and right, yes. So when you came to the U.S., you you studied chemistry, uh, physics and chemistry, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Physics and chemistry. Yeah. And then you got your money stolen, mm-hmm. so you had to find a job, and this is how you ended in a restaurant. Correct. Yeah. Fate. Absolutely. <laughs> would, Absolutely. You have, would you have been in the restaurant business if didn't this didn't happen, you think? I'm from a country where kitchen belongs to women. So there's no no way I would have thought of being in the restaurant business. That's like the the the, the men are enjoying the food, but in the kitchen that was only my mother, my aunts, my sisters, you know. So that was And your uncle. Definitely. My uncle, because he was from Vietnam, you know, yeah. that's like my uncle. So Uncle Jean, that's a different story. In Senegal, we have this small Vietnamese community because of the same colonial French past and mm-hmm. Lebanon as well. Community moved to Senegal after the Indochina war. And they and one of them happened to be my godfather. He became friends with my parents. And, and he was the only man I've ever seen cooking as a kid. And he okay. became... An inspiration, and he's still a great inspiration to me. Early nineties, now very old, looking great and healthy, and yeah. I, yeah, he's still cooking, and uh, and he he definitely taught me a lot about food from Vietnam. Really, him, his sister, and Marianne, who's still around too, and his mother, who's no longer with us, but they, I remember all of them very vividly from childhood. Yeah. So that bad thing that happened to you was fate. Oh, yeah, that bad thing was a good thing, you know. So it's all perspective, you know, at yes. the moment when it <laughs> yeah, happened. Afterwards, on the spot, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, when, when that happened, I, I thought of it as like the, the, the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Yeah, it, it really was a, a, a blessing now. Yeah, it was fit. It was, uh, I love to go through that story. I pinched myself plenty of times because you just can't believe, you know, all the steps and there's so much more that happened along the way that I can only um, give credit to, to fate, you know, and that's why I, I, I can never credit myself for, for having done, done this right. journey. Nice. Nice. So to end uh, the conversation with the people questionnaire. So it's the first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, there's no beeping. Right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> no worries. We can say whatever you want. Um, mm-hmm. So are you ready? I try. Okay. So what is, what is your favorite word? My favorite word? Yes. Uh, patience. No. Okay. You want to change? <laughs> you um, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, wait a minute. My favorite word? Yes. I think it, it's delicious. I mean, I, I love when I'm enjoying something, it's delicious. I guess mm-hmm. delicious. Yeah, yeah, okay. delicious. What's your least favorite word? <laughs> least favorite word? Uh, nasty. 
by, by, by that I'm answering, is it the, the word itself or the quality? You know, that's like the, the, the when I say delicious, is a, yeah, it's, it's, I'm meaning the word because, but I'm meaning it because I'm experiencing it. So it's yes. experience. So, so, it's, so as an experience, it, yes. It's however you understand the question. Okay, well, nasty. There's, there's, no, <laughs> there's no preset things. It's really, well, okay. the first thing, as I said, that comes to your mind. Okay. Of course. What's your, okay. What's your favorite virtue? Patience. What's your favorite quality in a woman? Compassion. What's your favorite quality in a man? Empathy. What ingredient or dish would you use to describe yourself? There's a dish called Supukanja in Senegal. It's like okra stew. It's like the ancestor of gumbo. Gumbo, yes. so gumbo. Yeah. I, I love, I, I guess, if I was a dish, I would be a gumbo. Oh, it's nice. uh, it's okra. a dish that has okra, mm -hmm. seafood, yeah, yeah. And even the royal gumbo has seafood and lamb. That's the way my mom does it. And, it's oh. like, and different types of seafood, fresh seafood, you know, like you could have shrimp. Shrimp, scallops, mussels. Scallops, mussels. Yeah, and yeah, then you yeah, have... Yeah. And then you have smoked oysters and smoked catfish in it. So it's all like, so you have all those different layers of flavor that hit you, you know, and, and it's just, it's a special dish here. Wow. I love it. Yeah. What aroma or smell do you love? Jasmine. Mm. What is your favorite curse word? My favorite curse word? Any language. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to shock you. Kosomak, <laughs> like my oh, friend Lebanese. Simon. <laughs> <laughs> my friend Simon. <laughs> so I have a friend from Lebanon in Senegal, born in Senegal. But I guess he he there's some Lebanese in him, and that was the, the yeah, word yeah, that, that it, we all embraced. You know, we all embraced. I still don't even know the meaning. I should. Yeah. I used to know it, but but it's just, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you afterwards. <laughs> afterwards, oh boy, okay. Kosomak. What That's sound so or funny. noise do you love? Mm, ah, mm, yes, <laughs> those are the sounds. It's the sound of deliciousness, you know, of, ah. of, of, of enjoying it. Like, yeah. Nice. Those are the sounds, yes. What, what sound or noise do you hate? Everything that's like uh, the sound of an ass, you know, like the sound of like this discordant, you know, it's not musical, you know, it's everything that's, that's, that's the kind of sound like Dissonant. I hate. You know? Dissonant, yeah, dissonant, yeah. What plant or animal would you like to be reincarnated in? A phoenix. I don't oh. know if it exists. It's okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> you can but, choose. <laughs> yeah, but I definitely like to come back from my ashes. Yeah. If heaven exists, uh, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome home. <laughs> <laughs> Been a while. <laughs> It took you a while. It took yeah. me a while for sure. I'm sure I've been around for yeah. a moment, but hopefully, you know, yeah. Jajof, thank you. Jajof, Jajof, Antoine, thank you. So it was a pleasure. Thank you again. Have a good time. <laughs>